Hi, and welcome to the Max Revenue Show. I'm your host, Max Revenue. In this episode, we do some Q&A. We talk about uh, what is a BOR and all the things that come with it. We talk about what to look for when you're considering leaving an agency. So how do you do your due diligence process when vetting out, leaving where you're at and starting over and what to look for in an agency? We talk about how to write business when you work uh, somewhere different than where you grew up. So what do you do when you don't have a network and you don't know anybody? And then lastly, we circle back to the episode where we talk about a tech stack. We mentioned a database where you can find leads for construction-related companies. Uh, so we go over what that software is uh, as well and answer that question. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's do a little Q&A today. You and I get hit up with a lot of messages on LinkedIn and Twitter, even though you're not on Twitter. And we thought, since we didn't have any grand ideas today, we can always circle back and do some Q&A. So this is our uh, amazing uh, topic for the day. I would like to start it off with a question that I had first. I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit. Okay. I know this is probably at the top of everyone's mind, and so I just want to make sure that we address it. Um, and this is coming from a, a captive agent. And you know who you are. I'm not making fun of you, but it just shows you the difference between someone who works with a captive agency and someone who doesn't. And here's the question. What is a BOR? <laughs> <laughs> would you uh not, would you like to expound not, on that i'm not laughing at anybody by the way i was a captive agent i'm just laughing with everyone <laughs> yes i agree yeah nothing but uh, i'm nothing but knuckles i mean i'm with you we all you know oh nothing but love so anyways what is the bor broker of record letter gotcha and what does that do Fires one agent and replaces them with the agent of your choosing if you're a business owner. Very nice. Yeah. I got a broker of record letter yesterday. Uh, small trucking account. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Woohoo. 2,500 in revenue. I'm jealous. Um, yeah, they add up. So they certainly do. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, when I got, so when I left the captive space, I was there for three and a half years. You think the, the weirdest thing about leaving a captive and going to the independent side for anyone listening is you think, you know, a lot about insurance. And like, I guess I was made to believe that, uh, the company I was at had all the bells and whistles. We were the best ever. And then you get out there and you realize, holy cow, like the insurance world is a huge world, right? Big space. And a lot of other companies do the same thing my company was doing, you know, risk control people on staff, these special forms and endorsements and all this other stuff. So, um, but you realize really quickly, there's a lot you don't know. And it is a learning curve. So for anyone listening, if you're thinking about leaving, um, even though you're staying in the industry, that helps. It's still a learning curve. And uh, I was a little bit in for a surprise because when I went to um, the last firm I was at coming from a captive, my first day on the job, I found out we we couldn't quote 
wasn't an option. And so I had to learn real quickly what a BOR was. I was like, well, how do we get new business? That was literally probably the question I asked. So I do have some empathy for the guy asking that question because, uh, you know, he wouldn't know. No, sure. Hey, and real quick on this, can you explain, uh, maybe we've done this in the past, but we'll do it again. Can you explain when you walked into your office in Houston, what the principal told you, like basically what he, like you say, you couldn't quote, can you explain basically what the rules of engagement were there? I just think it's super fascinating because that is not what I came from. Um, but I, I yeah. think for a new producer, it sets you up for success. Uh, so if you want to expound on that a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I interview, right. I fly down from Wisconsin. I interview um, never mentions that we don't quote. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I get there the first day and we're kind of, you know, you're, you're feeling things out. I'm starting to talk with other agents and I don't know if I heard it from them or who exactly, but it was made pretty clear by the principal at our sale. He was also our sales leader. And it was just like, yeah, we don't, we don't quote, we, we get hired, you know, we went on service and resources and capabilities and, and that's how we, in business so we, we you're not allowed to quote and it was just very i was like oh okay that's crazy um but what it did for me and i think the reason it was cool is i had no preconceived notions or i wasn't jaded uh, so some older guys in the office fought it right because we were a conglomeration of a bunch of different agencies that came together and and they fought it but i didn't know any better so that's kind of the cool part about you know if you're a sales leader or you know a younger person when you kind of go into a situation, just open-minded like that, I'm like, okay, that's, that's all I know. That's what I have to work on now. I had no other choice. So what it forced me to do was not, not complain and bitch like, oh man, I, I got to pass up this opportunity, this opportunity, because he wants to quote, uh, you know, there were some guys in the office that would kind of maybe do that, but I was just like, I don't have a choice. So I have to stick to this path and go down that. And I think when you're a hundred, you know, we've talked a lot about focus and commitment and so basically as a leader, what it forced me to do is just be committed and hundred percent bought into that way of doing things. And you get, you have to learn how to sell based on that. Right. Um, how do you have conversations up front when you know, you can't quote, you know, so it changes everything. Uh, the way you approach cold calls, the way you, uh, you know, build relationships uh, with these prospects. And uh, it was probably the best thing that was ever done for my career. Um, I will say this. I, if I ever managed uh, producers or gave advice, I would say um, I'm not a staunch like, hey, never quote guy. Uh, I think there's times to, to pursue things that make sense. I've won deals. We talked about this last year, my first year building my book back where I quoted and there were nice deals. If I wouldn't have participated, I wouldn't have got them. Um, so, but, but as a younger guy, I think following and buying all in to something can be really helpful as well. So I know it's kind of a on the fence answer. Like, what would you do? Would you force all you guys to do BOR only? I, I don't know. I, I, I can really see the value in it. I'm glad that I was forced to do it, but I can also see some downside to it a little bit as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So I've, I've thought a lot about this too. Um, I will never start my own agency. Uh, but if I <laughs> did, cause I don't want to deal with people. Um, but if I did, I would do a couple of things. Number one, Mandatory six months of technical training. I got um, I got some technical training, um, but it wasn't mandatory. And I uh, tend to be a bull in China shop, so I just didn't go, and that cost me. And I still pay for it today. 
Um, I'm not nearly as technically sound as I should be. Uh, I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm not nearly technically sound enough as I should be five years in. So I would, I would do six months of mandatory training. And then for the next two and a half years, so we're looking at this three-year validation window, for the next two and a half years, I would put, con we've talked about how constraints um, mm -hmm. are actually a good thing. Uh, Jocko Willink talks about discipline equals freedom. I think for us, constraints actually equal freedom. Um, and there's also a lot of quotes of like uh, giving yourself constraints uh, like around art or your craft or whatever actually lead to creativity. Uh, so I think I would for two in the next two and a half years, I would set a mandatory policy that you could only sell via BORs. And once you learn how to position and you get past that validation, uh, then you can do whatever you want. But I would put training wheels on and constraints, the bumper rails like we talk about, the bowling analogy, and I would make agents do that. I think I would just try to recreate basically what your experience was going through a, a, a captive yep. um, thing with the training combined with what you got uh, when you first walked into MMA. I think you got handed um, – a really good, I just think you were given a really good foundation. Uh, and sure. I know a lot of agents out there don't have that. They come in and it's basically like, Hey, who do you know? Um, where can you get in the door? And they don't know. They don't know the technical piece. They don't know. It's they're just throwing shit against the wall and hoping something sticks and they're pivoting and whatever, which is pretty much my story. Uh, so I would definitely build in those those constraints. And also, I don't even know that I would have a revenue target for people. I would be ruthlessly managing their activity level. And they, would have, to, they would have to put in the CRM. They would have to – I would be monitoring calls out. I'd be number, monitoring meetings set. I would be making them go to new meetings with older producers and being graded on that. I would not necessarily make someone hit a revenue target. What I would look at is – is this person doing the uh, revenue generating activity that he's going to need to be successful long-term in 10 years? And then basically after three years, regardless of where his revenue was, I would then make a decision as to whether I thought this guy or gal was a good long-term fit. And I wouldn't necessarily give a rip about uh, whether they had hit a number or not, but that's just me. I like that. sounds like you're ready to start an agency. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, no, Managing I, I people I is not for Max. No, no, I agree. Um, hard to do with a pirate with a patch on too, you know. Kind of <laughs> well, I don't. Sneaky. Yeah. Whenever it um, in sales meetings, I'd only be able to see half my audience, so I'm with you. <laughs> I'd always sit on your on the left side of the table. Fair enough. Um, I one thing I would add, I like, I love that idea. Actually, I think I think agency owners listening should adopt that. I think uh, makes a ton of sense. Part of the, I was fortunate. I had a year long training program where I didn't even sell, you know, for 11 months. I, I think that's a little overkill. I think, like you said, six months is probably adequate. Um, and I think the things that, that I would work in there, besides just reading policy language, is literally sitting at the desk of your marketing team in your agency. Those people, like they're marketing deals, they know what needs to be on applications. They just start talking the language. Like I would just sit there for as part of that six month training. I'd two, three weeks doing that. I would sit with an account manager for a couple of weeks, literally in shadow. And it's going to be boring as all get out if you're a producer, right? Because it's not in our blood to do that. But <clears throat> those, those people, your team are really vital and they'll, 
they know more than you think a lot of them. Um, and, and just knowing all the admin stuff, how things work, that that's helpful too. It just makes you more confident. Um, and then obviously spending time with, you know, some seasoned people that just know policies well. And um, I think one of the greatest resources also is wholesale brokers because they are such high volume people in very niched policies. So like only casualty, only Marine, only property. So I would also in that six month span, try to, who, who does your agency work with from a wholesaling standpoint, go spend, uh, you know, one day a week with them for over a three week span or something like that. I don't know. Just shadow them. Um, and then go into the wild, you know? Yeah. One problem that I ran into, and I know we're really going down the rabbit hole here, uh, but for all <laughs> the agency owners out there or sales managers or whatever, one of the problems that I ran into was trying to get people to come with me on appointments I could set a damn appointment as good as anybody else, but then trying to line up not only your schedule, the schedule of the prospect, but also the schedule of somebody else who's already got a big book and they're managing all their normal stuff, putting out fires, trying to line up three schedules to get a meeting book. Dude, it was, it was a mess. It was just chaos. So I think, I think, and I, I will go to my grave with this. I think every office needs a sales manager. Somebody that is not in production, absolutely not in production in any way, but their sole job is to help new producers develop. Their job is to go on those meetings. In each, I was literally just going to say that. I agree. We didn't. We didn't have that. We did not have that at my firm. It was basically like everybody for themselves, and you know, Brown knows somebody to basically take you under their wing. Um, but I, I think every office needs a sales manager who is 100% production free, um, and is, is simply graded and, or, you know, compensated based off of book growth of new producers. Um, or maybe it's the agency principal. Maybe you've hit a, your book is at a spot where you have an account exec or someone managing it well, and you, you can truly step away and not take cuts also from the younger guys, you know, that are selling, trying to sell stuff and get validated. Um, but no, I agree. I, I think it would be ideally if you could have someone that's not in production at all. I think I think that's a great mindset. I you know it's funny. Um, Alex Hermosi was talking on a video about like leverage. You know, like he basically said like don't try, don't break out being the hardest worker right out there. Mm-hmm. Everyone can work hard. You know, winners and losers both have a, the same goal. But the winners and like the really wealthy people, they basically leverage, they put the, the, they do the activities that are going to, you know, that have the most leverage. And as an agency owner or a sales leader, you're investing in, you know, investing in your new agents and doing what you're saying, Max, that's a big, that's a lever, right? That's, that's an activity that's like, wow, that could yield major results and increase the value of your agency big time. Uh, if you can get these young guys up and running, you so. pay you pay a sales manager two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to run your sales team, and within three years, you know every year they're graduating one to two agents who are putting a hundred thousand in revenue on the books. They pay for themselves in in like a year and a half. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and pay them some have some type of incentive or bonus structure. Uh, I think it's a no brainer. Uh, but it's that initial investment, at least I know my agency, it was like, oh man, that money, if we actually lost a guy who actually left us and went to USI to be exactly that role. And we would not match USI's. We, we basically were like, no, you're going to do it for free. 
uh, you just like working with young guys. You, we, we're not going to invest in that. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go into it's, specifics, but they they have lost a lot of producers over the last couple of years. They they basically, you know, well, no, we're, we're going to help you. Um, and then and it's just up thing, to the whim of everybody else, and it just never works out. Yeah, and one other thing that's important to mention is part of the reason I love being an agent is the freedom, right? I don't want to be micromanaged. Um, however, this is kind of also where there's this discrepancy is as an agency, you got to know, are you hiring young guys or old, old guys who know what they're doing? Right. And I think if you, if you bring in a guy with seven years, like I just left, right. Agencies a year and a half ago, have seven years of experience. When I left built a million dollar plus book, I don't need to be micromanaged. Right. I, I got a path to run on. So I think sometimes agencies can fall trap. Every new person's going to fall under the same. No, like there's some nuance to this stuff, but if you're, if you're, if you're trying to grow by bringing in younger people, and that's your specific agency's plan, then then I think listening to what we're saying would would serve you well, make a lot of sense. All right. That's enough. I think we kicked that dead horse a number of times. You want to go on to yeah. question number two that you have? Sure. I will just read this in my inbox and I'm going to call this person Steve. That's not his name. Hey, Steve. All right. <laughs> About four years ago, I left my job and got into PNC production. I love what I do and my team, but for some reason, I'm having a really slow start this year. My book is growing and my commissions are growing due to the hard market, but new business is slowing down drastically. My firm and many of the partners at my firm inherited a lot of their books from their dads or got ins from their family and private school networks. I don't have the luxury. I also live in such a town where everyone knows everyone from the country club. It's making things hard to get referred business and cold calls are not doing it either. Uh, I don't really have an industry mentor. Anyways, thanks for reading. Any help would be appreciated. Well, I think that guy summed up both of our experience. <laughs> and I think that's why Max Revenue exists. Not me as a person, uh, but this brand and what we're trying to do is because we both found ourselves in that situation. I think actually most agents find themselves in this situation, but I don't think there's many people talking about how to do this thing from scratch. And I think that's why yeah. there's like a 95% failure rate. So yeah. I 100% hear everything that you're saying, Steve, and I'm five years in and I'm still dealing with that. Um, so I completely agree. I have a number of thoughts on what you should do or suggestions, but I'll, I'll let you go first, Michael, since you got this question. Sure. Um, and this is one thing I will say is why I'm such a big believer in mindset, because I think we talked about this last uh, episode as well. It can be a, a grind, man, because you start to feel like everyone's got a buddy. Everyone's knows somebody. And so one thing I'd say to Steve here is like, be a little careful to fall into the, the victimhood trap because it can start to really feel like, I know he's just kind of sending me a private message. I'm not saying Steve, that you are, you know, a negative thinker, but just guard your mind and don't let yourself fall into that trap. Cause there there's numerous examples myself and several others that have felt like you have and beat the system, right? Didn't know anyone, didn't have a network, et cetera. So let's get into some tactical advice. I would give you one expand your geographic region. You talked about your small town, man, I'm in Texas. I call over the state 10 hours West. I picked up a client last, last year in Alpine, Texas. That's a 10 hour drive. I'm never going out there. 
Um, <laughs> Dude, you got uh, somebody CFO. in Alabama. Didn't you get some cat in Alabama? Yeah, yeah I have an Alabama client too. Um, both have great relationships with them. Both, you know, picked up BORs, did amazing work for them. Never met them in face to face yet. Right. So times are changing. So one thing I would say is expand your thinking and think like, okay, I don't know what town you're in, you know, Steve, but, but expand it, right. Call the whole state, call three States. I don't care. You know, especially if you niche down, which we talk a lot about, you want to get bigger anyways. Um, so that's one thing tactically is just expand your vision and kind of your re- reach. Second thing, find, I made a little video on this as well in our channel. Find those three-star recruits. But what I mean by this is everyone wants those five-star blue chip business recruits, right? Those prospects that are just awesome. However, those guys have the relationships. Everyone's calling on them, whining and dining them, and you're just not at that level yet. Sorry, Right. But what I did really well that worked worked for me is I found the three stars, right? The the businesses that were overlooked, but they had a and usually they had a couple of factors in place. One is like they had a young person that was taking over for their dad or something, and he really wanted to grow the business. And they were just good people, man. Like loyal, looking for someone to grow with, whatever. I would get those people and latch onto them. And it, it's interesting. Out of uh, I built a pretty decent sized book, you know, that I had left. But like I think three of my top clients, size wise revenue, like literally doubled in size over the time. So they started off as a three-star, but guess what? They became a five-star and they were loyal as all get out. So um, those are two thoughts I have. I guess I'll pass it back to you, Max. And if I think of more, I'll chime in. Yeah. So same, same thing with the geographic area. I'm currently calling in five states. Um, and so what I hear a lot or what I'm hearing is like kind of a need to get back to the basics and Steve, I, I I am not telling you this from an ivory tower. I'm telling you this because I'm in the trenches too, and I deal with this on a daily basis. I literally vented to Micah this almost the same thing like two days ago. Um, kind of losing concentration, following some rabbit holes, feel like I'm hitting some dead ends, and Micah's like, dude, just get back to basics. Make your Make your calls, set up your call block, it's sacred time and execute. And I, so I kind of put up a post about it, basically what I called the 90 and 90 challenge. Expand your geography every morning, your first activity, the first thing you do, you don't even, you know, if you can not even open your laptop, don't open your laptop. Um, first 90 minutes of every day, make your calls. And do that for 90 days. And I'd be willing to bet you in August when the 90 business days is up, I bet you you've got more in the pipeline than you can manage. It's just a matter of executing on the small things and focusing on the high leverage activity. Oh, my phone's ringing. I can can't take that call. Yep. Um, do the high leverage work first. Eat the frog. Okay. And then yeah. my second thought is, <clears throat> even though, you know, especially we're in this hyper connected world, everybody has LinkedIn. Everybody has Facebook. We all know everybody. Everybody knows five or six brokers. And if you focus on that, it can seem overwhelming and like, why would they ever let me in? But at the end of the day, human behavior does not change. When people are uncomfortable, when people are in pain, they are going to look for a solution. You want to sell painkillers, not vitamins. If you call the right person at the right time with the right message, regardless of how many people they know, they will take your call 
And if you say the right things, you will get a meeting. And then from there, the ball's in your court. But, you know, you could say the, you could say the wrong things even. Yep. <laughs> you call it the right time. I mean, just calling. Um, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No. So that, that, that's my thought. Get back to basics. And at the end of the day, human behavior does not change. If they're in pain and you have a painkiller, they're going to hear you out. Uh, regardless if they play golf with Steve and they know that he's a broker too, Steve, if Steve didn't call them, you know, after they got that, you know, bad work comp audit and they need some help, but you did, then guess who's getting the meeting? You are. So that's what I got. Let me, let me add a couple things to that, that, that you, when you were talking, sparked my brain, woke me up. Uh, he says, and you, you covered this really well, but cold calling just not seem to working, right? What do you, how do you define not working? Um, I made a post on LinkedIn about this yesterday because I've been keeping my stats now for the last three weeks religiously. I used to always do it and I got away from it. And I made, I think, what, 476 calls or something like that um, over a three-week span. Uh, you know, And believe it or not, that's not eight, eight hours a day. That's probably three to four hours a day of work, uh, just the calling part. But anyways, the whole, I'm saying you got to reframe things. So it's like, man, I call all these people. And if I really boil it down, I only said 11 meetings only. That's not bad. If you're calling the right size accounts, 11 meetings, think about that, guys. That's, a, that's over a three-week span. If just one of those pops, even if all 10 flake out, ghost me, whatever, but one of those pops and it's 15 in revenue. Over a three-week span, every three weeks, what's 52 divided by three, Max? Um, one, uh, 17? Yeah. I don't do so public every, math. <laughs> so 17 deals, even if it's just to make it easy. If one of those pops and it's 10,000 revenue and every three weeks I do this, that would be 10,000 times 17, 170,000 in revenue that year. Right. Again, the whole point is, you know, it's not always going to work out that, that way, but the whole point is like, you got to define what's not working and set the right expectations. You're not just going to call all these people and have people tripping over to meet with you, you know? And that's, again, back to the mental part. It's just a grind, and that's why I like Max's 90-90 challenge. I think everyone should do it. It just makes a ton of sense. Um, so one other thing I was going to add is – Well, let me throw this in there real quick. Let me throw this yeah. in real quick. If cold calling isn't working, I can give you the best script I've ever had. Go to the newsletter website, maxrevenueletter.beehive.com. And go look up the one million method. That's the script that Micah uses that he taught me that we have been taught uh, hundreds of other producers and we get tons of feedback on. It's the best converting script, cold call script that I've ever used, not even close. So if you want to say better things and have the right message at the right time to the right person, go look that up and uh, learn it inside out. That'll get you more, that'll get you more meetings than what you're currently doing. Guaranteed. Yep. And then also you've been doing this for four years. You said you have some good current clients go you know, dive deeper into the, the client base you have. I, you're probably already doing this, but ask them why they moved to you. Kind of figure out how, look back. How did you win those deals? You know, um, and you, Steve, I'm sure you've done this, but anyways, I would look at that, ask for referrals, of course. So, uh, well, one other thing before we go to the last one, you mentioned, no, you can't seem to find a mentor. Um, you know, I know you reached out to me. Um, I can't mentor everyone. However, keep reaching out to other people on LinkedIn as well. There might be someone, you know, closer proximity that can meet you. Um, there's a lot of people in this industry that I think are willing to help, right? Uh, for, for no cost. Of course, you can always go find someone and pay for them. Um, but there's a bunch of no cost uh, mentors out there, I think. And 
And I'll just be a little bit more forthright with people with your own agency. If you think there's a good mentor there, do you really want to work with? Just kind of treat it, you know, slowly kind of build that relationship. I have never found uh, an older producer who turns down a mentorship role if somebody is bringing in new business meetings. <laughs> if you can yeah. get meetings, you will have no shortage of mentors. Give and you shall receive, right? Yep. Let's go to question number three. Yeah. This is from, we will call him Franklin. <laughs> uh, Franklin says, Hey Max, love your content and podcast on your podcast tech stack. You mentioned someone had told you about a service for commercial real estate leads and finding, well, he says commercial real estate and finding the owners. I was going to see if I could get that name of that service. The name of that service is, Construction Brr. Journal. <laughs> no drum roll? Come on, man. No, no drum roll. Is <laughs> da, 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 brr, Construction Journal. I actually think they were just acquired because I talked to them yesterday. I think it is now called Construct Connect, I believe is what it's called. But if you just Google Construction Journal, you should find it. And that being said, I also know that – what's the name of that other one? Shoot. Crap. There's another construction one. If I think of it, I'll tell you. Uh, and then also I've had a lot of questions about DOT leads for anybody chasing trucking. And that is called, drumroll please, Central Analysis Bureau by Randall Riley, a.k.a. Cap Report. If you're in trucking, you should know what that is. If you're not, shame on you. Uh, I think the website is cabadvantage.com. Basically, that's where the underwriters... Uh, there's a subscription fee and you can pull basically what's called cab report, which is all the underwriting information that the underwriters use to basically rate and score an account. So go get access to the cab reports. So that was my question. Anything to add to that? It's good stuff, man, right there. It's gold. Yep. Gold nuggets just tucked away in this podcast at minute number. I don't know what it is. 25. That's why you got to stick around. Got to stick around. Never know. Gold just dropping from the sky. All right. Question number four. <laughs> All right. This is a, a good one here. Um, let's see. Quick question. This is from, I'll call him uh, Booker. I noticed you mentioned in this week's podcast, and I've heard you mention it before, that you worked at fill in the blank national agency. I was curious, what factors made you leave? I'm happy where I'm at, at fill-in-the-blank national agency, but want to make sure I'm going to look out for potential factors that could cause me to change plans. Thanks. Love that question. So, Can't wait to it's a great question. It. Great question. You want me to go first or you want to go first? Fire away. All right. First of all, kudos to you, Booker, for asking the question because I think – we're preaching due diligence to our prospects, right? Hey, how do you know your agent's really taking care of you? Well, the same thing applies to you in your own career situation, right? I'm not saying the agency you're at is a terrible spot. They might be the best for you, but how do you know what you don't know? You don't. So talk to your friends, talk to people on LinkedIn, like, like Booker did here, reach out, ask these types of questions. So you have some type of benchmark in your head. And, you know, maybe you're, you're making a 15% commission on new and renewal and you think it's amazing and you realize everyone else is making 25 or 30 or 50, you know? So, um, the, yeah, anyways, 
props to him for thinking like that, asking those questions. That's why I take calls from recruiters. I always tech, I always have not every single one, but I just like to be in the know of what's going on. Um, and uh, side note, hey, agents listening, as you're talking to your prospects, work this into your language with a prospect. Like, hey, I take calls from recruiters sometimes. Do you ever take calls from agents just to kind of know things that are out there in the market, right? So, um, and then let's see, he asked specifically why I left. <clears throat> hmm. <sighs> let's see. I was not unhappy. I, um, there were some things I didn't align with at the really, really big agencies, just personally that I was like, eh, I'm not, you know, not against it. I just don't necessarily want to align with that, uh, specifically. Um, so my values you could say, and, uh, um, I liked the fit and the feel better of, a of, a of the agency size I went to. Um, I felt like I had more autonomy, more entrepreneurial feel to it. And then if we're going to talk numbers, of course, uh, commission splits, right. Are, were higher, um, for me personally. And also equity was a, was a major play. So for me, I was extremely happy. I was making really good money. So several boxes had to be checked just cause I was a little bit, Oh, I didn't align with them culturally. It was going to make me leave. I didn't care. Right. Um, they were still fine. They treated me well. They respected people, but there had to be several boxes checked and every box was checked. And then I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, it's now or never. And I said, screw it. I did it. And the reason I think I'm happy I did it or not think I know is because I was kind of getting a little bit, I don't want to say bored, but it's kind of like, you know, you get in your routine, you get comfortable. And I think life's all about getting outside your comfort zone. It's very cliche. But that's where the growth happens. That's where you go to next levels. That's what life is all about, right? New experiences, changing things up. And, you know, I know, Max, you can attest to this, but like starting over from scratch is a major change. It's scary, right? It makes your, your throat tighten up a little bit. Sometimes think about like leaving and uh, kind of get anxiety. But once you do it, it's like, okay, I'm all in. Here we go. So anyways, that's yep. what I got. <clears throat> I will be less. Um, I will be less guarded in my language. Um, I left and I left for two reasons. Uh, much like you, the values, uh, I was also at a large national firm and to, to be, just be very frank, uh, they wanted a diversity of skin color, but not a diversity of thought, um, shoved down a lot of woke bullshit down my throat, uh, that I didn't agree <laughs> with. You had people acting as if, you know, they were one way, they're conservative, you know, they are, um, you know, men of principle. Meanwhile, because, you know, big, big corporate says something else, they profess to be one thing out of this side of their mouth. Meanwhile, they're, you know, pushing unconscious bias training um, down on everybody else and i just uh hey i'm i'm not into the woke corporate bullshit uh so that was a that, that i was not a big fan of that okay so that was one and then another thing like you was commission i got a sweetheart deal um young independent agency looking to grow i got a 70 40 split and um the opportunity at equity uh in the agency uh, and the opportunity to own my own book. So where I was at in my journey, three, four years in, go through the validation process, but I'd still, I didn't have the point kind of like Micah where I had golden handcuffs. Micah is one of the few people I know that have jumped ship after building a million dollar book. 
I was not at that point yet. I only had a couple hundred in revenue on the books. But and so I was, you know, at a point where it still made sense to start over. So no golden handcuffs. And I could not turn down the commission split and the opportunity on my own book. So that is why. What I would give that's advice. Why, I would give the same advice why, Mike did. Do your due diligence. See what else is out there. That's why you're the producer's champ, man. That's why people love you. Just yeah. Tell it how it is. Yeah. Well, I like you it. Know, for the, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. If you like it, great. If you don't, feel free to unsubscribe. Um, <laughs> the I'll say this: uh, going back to you know changing agencies and doing your due diligence, I have I, I really dislike talking to other producers, and I have you know I was sitting there writing down the other day how many. and what their agency's like and this, that, and the other. And I can tell you this. Everybody thinks their agency is unique. Everybody thinks that they have the special sauce. I'm here to tell you, nobody has that. Your, you know, they are, they are, they have that IV plugged into your arm telling you with, you know, pouring that secret Kool-Aid in there, telling you that they're everything uh, and they're the best thing since sliced bread, but nobody is. Um, you know, if you're a big national firm, nobody's got anything that you don't have. Most independent agents, uh, if they don't have it in-house, they can go outsource it or hire consultants to do what big agents can. At the end of the day, people buy from people, not from the logo on your shirt. Nobody's got the secret sauce. I would go to wherever is best for you and your family and to hell with the logo on your shirt. I, I'm a believer. People are buying you. And, and that I guess I'll some. I'll kind of put a put a tie on this answer or this question. Bow tie. I can't speak, man. Anyways, I'll I'll wrap it up on this specific question. But uh, that was another thing. Why did I leave? I realized ultimately people were buying from me. All the fancy resources, capabilities, bells and whistles, all that stuff. People were like, that's not what they cared about. Once you know, yeah. Sometimes here and there, spot you know, occasionally they would take advantage of it. But overall, I realized I was doing the advisement meetings. I was running the service calendar. I was kind of doing all that anyways. And I'm getting all X percentage to the house. I'm like, uh, you know, and I get there's, there was value in the house, right? The agency house, you know, I had a service team and some of that stuff. But I, I started to ask myself, I'm like, why am I giving up such a big cut when I'm kind of doing a lot of the heavy lifting and my clients are not really using all these resources or didn't even qualify for them because they weren't big enough. So anyways. Any other questions you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, I think we, I think uh, people are probably bored at this point if they're still listening. No, they ain't bored. <laughs> they ain't bored. Yeah. They're listening at this point. They're the, they're, they are uh, loyal pirates in the pirate army. So they uh, are searching for that uh, treasure chest. Yeah. Hoping at the, the secrets at, away. At minute 27. All right. With that, uh, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening. Please uh, like and subscribe. Leave us a comment on wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, Micah is doing really cool stuff over on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Please go over there. Sometimes it's better to see uh, than just to listen. So I highly recommend that. A lot of great stuff. Same nuggets over there. At YouTube, please smash the subscribe button over there as well. It helps us. Um, and if you are not already subscribed to the newsletter, it goes out every Sunday. Uh, I will trade you your email address 
uh, for the best producer newsletter, giving you all the tips, trip, tips, tricks, and tactics. Uh, so, with, so with that, uh, adios. Hasta luego.